Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. Being from New England myself, there's a lot of things that makes Vermont stand out among other states. You got the beautiful Green Mountains, Lake Champlain, small town centers, and of course covered bridges. Also, interestingly, Vermont is considered the most rural state in the country, with almost 90% of its population living in rural areas and the rest in small cities. While it's generally very quiet and tranquil there, Make no mistake about it, Vermont has its fair share of strange and mysterious crimes. Wherever you find people, you're bound to run into a few bad apples. The stories on our list today show just that. I'm Andy Fitzgerald. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of Scary Mysteries. Remember to check out these episodes on our YouTube channel as well. And for even more content from us, go check out the Everytown Podcast. Now... Here are five mysterious unsolved crimes from Vermont. Number five, murder of Roland and Merrim Hennel. Vermont is one of those rare places that allows the legal hunting of bears. It occurs twice a year, and the most popular time is during September. Residents around Jay were used to hearing gunshots ringing out throughout the day which is why when an incident took place in the summer of 1984, 
No one was aware that it was no longer bears that were being hunted, but instead, humans. It had been three years since Roland and Maram Hanel had moved into their chalet on Gendron Road in Jay, Vermont. Because it was only the two of them, the couple decided to rent out the upper floors of their gorgeous property while they lived in the basement. When the brutal incident happened, no one was renting the place, which is why it took several days before the bloodshed was even discovered. It was on September 20th when a friend of the Hanels came by the place to find the two dead. An intensive medical examination was then conducted, confirming that the victims had been shot multiple times each with the wounds found in different parts of their bodies. There were a few clues, but police could only get so far with that information. There hasn't been a single arrest made in this case, and it's only received minimal media attention. But what makes the case even harder to crack is the fact that the police couldn't find a single viable motive for the killings. Neighbors and friends attest to the couple's good nature and friendliness to the Jay community as a whole. There were rumors, however, saying that Mr. Hanel had a long-standing boundary dispute with another lot owner. But that was quickly ruled out as a motive, considering that the person of interest was out of the state at the time. But several other theories popped up over the decades, and there were two that really piqued the public's interest. For one, it was found out that the husband owned a boat down in Florida, which he chartered for paid cruises. Rumors said that that vessel was used to smuggle illegal drugs into the country, so it's possible that their deaths occurred following a drug deal gone bad. Aside from the trafficking, it was also heard that the killings could have been in connection to international terrorism. You see, the wife had worked for the 1972 Munich Olympics, at which an Israeli Olympic team was taken hostage and killed by their Palestinian captors. Merum, an Egyptian native, had just recently become a Canadian citizen and lived in Quebec before she moved to Vermont with her husband. So there were speculations saying that she could have been involved at the Munich Olympic incident and that her and Roland's deaths could have been part of a Mossad cleanup operation. Conspiracies regarding the Hanel double murder case continue to run deep, and through the years, it's become an interesting topic among conspiracy theorists. Until the case is solved, though, their deaths up in Vermont will still remain a mystery. Number 4. Vanishing of Russell Bovitt For parents, there's probably nothing more heartbreaking than losing a child. And it's made even worse if, several years after the fact, they still can't be told an explanation as to why their child was killed. For the parents of Russell Bovitt, they had to contend to the fact that their son could no longer be found, and sadly, they had to carry this heartache even to their graves. The torment began on May 6, 1986, when Bovitt was last seen at his home on the Last Resort Farm, a dairy farm in Walden, Vermont. Two of his friends saw him watching television inside his house. People noticed his disappearance when he failed to show up for an appointment the next day. As such, the 30-year-old was then reported missing on May 11th, five days after he was last seen. Around the time he vanished, his 1974 Renault 
was found abandoned on a dirt road four miles from his home. Detectives found blood in its trunk and passenger side. When they checked his home, they also detected blood traces on Bovitt's mattress. It had been turned over in a sad attempt to hide the stains. Lab test results indicated that the blood on the sheets and those in the car apparently came from one person. Another interesting point in the case is the fact that when Bovitt supposedly left his property, he didn't bring a single thing with him. All his personal belongings, money, identification, and credit cards were all intact at his home. It's also worth noting that 12 days prior to his disappearance, Bovid had plans to move away from the farm after he sold it back to his ex-girlfriend, who was the original owner. His parents were quick in helping in the search for the last resort farm man. They put up a $50,000 reward for any information that would lead to the discovery of their son, However, not a single person responded. Years rolled by, and in 1988, a seemingly huge development occurred in the case. A convicted murderer, who was by then incarcerated, admitted that he killed the missing man. He went on to tell authorities that where he dumped the body was in Lake Willoughby. Cops picked up on the information and immediately searched the area, but they found no evidence to prove his statements to be true. Then, as time went on, many theories came up, and one of them suggested that Bovet was involved with drugs and that he was potentially murdered over a drug deal gone bad. However, this was quickly ruled out, considering that the man did not use drugs or even drink alcohol. So it's been nearly four decades since the incident took place, and no one has yet been convicted of kidnapping or murdering Bovet. After all those years, his parents waited patiently for any news, but unfortunately... Both of them have already passed away. We can only but imagine the heartache and pain they brought along with them to the grave, knowing that they lost their son for reasons that they would never be able to know. Number 3. Murder of Angela Belial Medical examiners are there to help law enforcers detect and determine what actually caused a victim's death. Without them, A clueless investigator might give the wrong conclusion based on what they had observed. And this is actually what happened in the case of Angela Belisle. On January 3, 1981, a student at the University of Vermont passed by the Belisle residence at 62 Brooks Avenue in Burlington. At first, the witness thought that what she saw was a mannequin that got topped over in the driveway. Upon a second look, though, She was convinced that it really was a human corpse, and the student immediately called police. The initial investigation suggested that the 35-year-old homeowner had got out of her car and slipped on wet, slippery pavement. Detectives thought she must have hit her head, gone unconscious, and considering that it was snowing heavily at the time, she might have subsequently froze to death. This was what they believed all along, that is, until a medical examiner discovered something so shocking they almost couldn't believe it. After they cleaned off the body, they noticed an odd-looking freckle or a mole upon her head. Looking at it closer, they saw blood oozing out of it. It was at this point that they knew Belial didn't die from a fall, but from a gunshot wound. With this new angle now, authorities were able to determine that the perpetrator had been waiting for the mother of three to come back home. 
Upon her arrival, the shooter snuck up behind and shot the victim in the head. Police also believe that the killer personally knew the victim, considering that he knew her routine. It was also observed that no valuables were taken from the scene or even from inside the house, which led them to theorize that the killer's objective was really just to kill the woman. Weirdly enough, investigators could not locate the bullet that was fired by the gunman. Names slowly surfaced through time, and one of them was the woman's ex-husband. You see, Belisle, a former school teacher at St. Albans, had recently been divorced. On the day that she was killed, she was supposed to meet her unnamed ex-husband to drop off their children. He was among the first to be questioned, but police couldn't find any reason to make him a person of interest. Since the case was still active, authorities couldn't fully disclose the details of their investigation. It's likely that Belisle's former husband may have had something to do with the senseless killing, but as of now, this case will remain a mystery. Number 2. Disappearance of Lynn Schulz Lynn Schulz was a freshman at Middlebury College in Vermont. She hailed from Simsbury, Connecticut, where she had finished high school. And while in college, her classmates and friends often heard her talking about how she liked the idea of faking her own death and starting life anew. But no one really seemed to take her seriously. In her letters to family and friends back home, she also frequently talked about how she felt homesick, and at one time she admitted wanting to withdraw from college altogether. Her folks back in Connecticut didn't believe her as well, considering that she was registered for spring semester classes after the autumn term was over. And although her academic performance at Middlebury wasn't exactly as stellar as it had been in high school, she was, however, doing great. In fact, for her English drama class, the 18-year-old had been studying so hard for the final exam, which was to take place on December 10, 1971. It was, however, during the time that this exam was supposed to take place that she supposedly vanished. According to the timeline created by the Middlebury Police Department, the test was scheduled to take place at around 1 p.m. At 12.45 p.m. on that same day, Lynn was seen back in her dorm room searching for her lucky pen. Her classmates later on wondered why she didn't show up for the exam. At 2.15, the college student was once again seen waiting at a bus stop. She told someone she was headed to New York, but the bus had already left. And this was supposed to be the last time that anyone ever saw her. The Simsbury native was reported missing just six days later, and the ensuing investigation had authorities combing for clues. It was discovered that she left almost all of her personal belongings behind, including money, IDs, licenses, as well as her clothes. The case then went cold for decades, but in 2012, Middlebury police got a tip saying Schultz was seen hitchhiking. These claims, however, could not be substantiated. In 2015, police announced that the missing girl had been to All Good Things on the day that she disappeared. All Good Things was a health food store owned by none other than Robert Durst. In case you missed it, Durst was a convicted murderer accused of killing his friend Susan Berman and his neighbor Morris Black. 
A possible connection was looked into, but the details seemed lacking to make Durst an actual suspect. Evidence is spart as to her actual fate. Her family now rests on the theory that she must have been killed, but that is yet to be proven. As of now, though, the official word is that she remains a missing person and is thought by the authorities to still be alive. Number 1. Twin Vanishing of Grace and Gracie Reap Sometimes, leaving an abusive relationship can be more dangerous than staying in it. That is to say that the abuser is more likely to come after and harm the individual or their children. This is what authorities believe to be the case regarding the disappearance of Grace Reap and her daughter Gracie back on June 6th of 1978. On that day, the mother and child disappeared from their 10-acre home on Hanley Lane in Jericho, Vermont. The mother left behind two young sons and her husband, Michael Reap. Subsequent reports said that the woman left behind a note saying that she and Gracie were leaving on their own and would never return. Their disappearance was reported on June 11th, five days after the incident, and on June 16th, Mr. Reap filed for divorce, citing desertion and intolerable severity as grounds for marriage dissolution. Mrs. Reap's friends and relatives told law enforcement that it seemed totally uncharacteristic of the woman to abandon her other children, and that this is what led them to believe that their friend could be a victim of domestic abuse. As such, police questioned the estranged husband who admitted to having multiple extramarital affairs throughout their relationship. In fact, he had one going on at the time when Grace and Gracie vanished. Not much progress had been made in the mother and daughter's disappearance, and on June of the following year, Michael was granted his divorce. Five months later, he married the family babysitter, but in 1985, he left her as well. It was already 1987 when police decided to consider homicide as the cause of the pair's vanishing. An extensive search of their property in Jericho commenced, but authorities still couldn't find any clue of Grace and Gracie's whereabouts. Detectives interviewed Michael once again in 1996. He sternly believed that his ex-wife and daughter left on their own accord. Despite their suspicions, police still couldn't implicate him in the crime if he was really connected to it. But things began to take an interesting turn when in November of 1996, one of Grace's sons reported their father missing as well. The following month, Michael's truck was located at an airport in New Orleans. Nothing was heard from him again until June of 2006, and police announced that they finally decided to charge the missing man with first-degree murder in connection with Grace's disappearance and second-degree murder with Gracie's. They surmised that the mother was killed when she found out about his multiple affairs. Meanwhile, the girl was killed because she witnessed the murder. While they had yet to substantiate this theory, in June of 2010, investigators said that they had finally identified a John Doe from Yuma, Arizona, and that it was Michael. What happened was, in January of 97, a year after he went missing, Michael abducted a man at gunpoint and stole his car. The victim escaped, and the perpetrator took off with the stolen vehicle. Then a chase ensued, and he was forced to pull over on the highway. 
But before law enforcers could ever arrest him, the suspect shot himself in the head. By that time, he had been on the run for 13 and a half years. Investigators remain hopeful that they could at least find Grace and Gracie's remains, which is why they've already made over 25 digs around the Jericho property. But without Michael around, even if they find them, no one will really be able to know the fate of the missing Vermont woman and her daughter. So that's going to do it for our podcast today. Don't forget to rate us and share this content with your friends. And for even more true crime stories, head over to our Everytown podcast, where we tell some of the craziest cases and stories that happen all around the country. Thank you guys so much for the support and for tuning in. I'll see you in the next one.